Welcome to Worship from Creef Parish Church. It was lovely to be able to have a few days away as a family on the Isle of Cymru, despite the hordes of day-trippers who queued for hours and hours to board the ferry for the short journey from Largs. And then over the past week, it's been back to work and back to school for our children and for thousands of other children and their teachers and school staff up and down the country. And so it's with thanks for the summer, for family time, and for this other small step towards this new normality that we gather in worship this morning. Of course, we also gather in the wake of the tragic rail accident following the thunderstorms and floods during last week. Their thoughts and their prayers are surely with all those who have been caught up in that tragic event, all those who have lost loved ones. Wherever we are, whoever we are, whenever and however we are sharing in this service, we still ourselves in the presence of the Lord, the Holy One, who is here with us.
I know that many of you enjoy seeing the different parts of the man's garden. I'm sorry we're not in the garden. I'm recording this rather late on Saturday night because this afternoon I was at Forth Valley Hospital. I was sitting with somebody in accident emergency. And in that A&E department, there were lots of boxes of latex gloves, lots of, of hand sanitizer, and there were these gas outlets. Rather mischievously, I wondered how long it would take to inflate all of the gloves that were in the department. And it got me thinking about a film I saw a number of years ago. It's a film called Up. It was the first animated film to open the Cannes Film Festival back in 2009. If you've not seen the film Up, I heartily recommend it, although you should definitely watch it with a box of tissues nearby. Up is a delightful, poignant story centering on an elderly widower named Carol. He was a, a former balloon salesman. It also features an earnest young wilderness explorer named Russell. And by tying hundreds of helium balloons to his house, Carol, with Russell as an accidental stowaway, sets out to fulfil his dream to see the wilds of South America and to complete a promise that he made to his late wife Ellie. Floating away up into the sky on balloons might seem a bit far-fetched, but it has actually been done. In July 1982, there was a 32-year-old truck driver named Larry Walters who decided that he had had enough of spending his free time just sitting in his garden. And so he decided to fulfil his childhood idea of flying using balloons. He went to the army surplus store, he purchased 43 weather balloons, he inflated them with helium, he tied them to a garden chair, he put on a parachute, he strapped himself into the chair and he intended to rise about 100 feet or so into the air and then with an air pistol shoot some of the balloons and slowly descend to the ground. But what actually happened was that he shot up into the sky to over 15,000 feet, he went into commercial airspace, he lost his glasses in the process. And he was so cold at first, so numb that he couldn't take his hands off the chair. But eventually he managed to, to get his pistol and shoot a few of the balloons and then he dropped the pistol. And so he floated for over two hours before he began to slowly descend. And then the balloons dangling cables tangled in a power line which broke and it caused a blackout in that part of California. Before eventually he landed unharmed whereupon he was immediately arrested by the Long Beach Police Department. Reporters who were on the scene were very eager to ask him a number of questions, including why he did it. And his answer was, well, you just can't sit there. Now, over the past few months, we've been reading from the book of Acts, and we've seen that God has called the church to mission. That's what Acts is all about. It's about the continuation of the mission of Jesus Christ through the church, by the Holy Spirit, into all the world. It's a mission of movement and expansion and growth. It's a mission that calls to every Christian man, woman and child and says, you can't just sit there. God doesn't call any believer to sit out life in a garden chair. He calls us to rise up and to serve his glorious purposes. We're continuing our reading from the book of Acts with the end of chapter 15 and then on into Acts 16. Let's listen to God's word together. 
Acts, chapter 15. Some time later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord, and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Acts chapter 16 Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they travelled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Theatira, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned round and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. 
they brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself! We are all here! The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, Release those men. The jailer told Paul, The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, Oh, they beat us publicly without a trial even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left.
to say a great big thank you to the band for that song. It takes a lot of time and a lot of expertise to put these songs together and we do appreciate them. We'll look forward to, to more from you. God has called the church to mission and God calls each one of us as members of his church to, to rise up to serve his glorious purposes. Many Christians can ask very honestly, what are God's purposes for my life? How do I discover what they are? We want, all of us, I think, to, to glorify God with our lives. We want to be of service in God's kingdom. But we might wonder, what does that look like? How do ordinary people with ordinary talents, with ordinary resources, with ordinary opportunities, how do people like you and me glorify God in a significant way? Well, sometimes these kind of questions can paralyse us into inactivity. We just don't know what God wants us to do. We just don't know how God wants us to serve. We don't want to do the wrong things. We don't want to miss God's leading. So many times we, we, we knock these doors and we wait, but these doors never seem to open for us. So how do we find the place of spiritual ministry that God has called us to? Well, with these kind of questions in our minds, it may seem that turning to the greatest missionary team the world has ever known, Paul and Silas, is just a recipe for yet more discouragement. For Paul and Silas, they blazed a missionary trail across the world. They changed history like no other team before or since. You and I, we just want to be used by the Lord and to bear fruit for the gospel in some small way with our lives. But they are soaring at 16,000 feet. We just want to get all our chairs off the ground. So how can we relate to them? Well, actually, as they, as they kick off this new missionary journey together, I, I think there's quite a lot we can learn from them. Certainly, the, the, the call in their lives is unique, and in some ways their experiences are unique. But there are also ways that their experiences are common to all believers and common to how God operates in your life and my life. So from their experience, I want us to consider four common principles in how God works and how God leads his people. Firstly, it seems that God can lead us best when we are already moving. The idea for this second missionary journey began when, when Paul said to Barnabas, Barnabas, let's go in and check in on these churches we've planted. Let's go and see how they're doing. That sounds pretty simple and straightforward. They'd planted churches three years earlier and Paul is saying, let's go and check, see how they're doing. There's no record of them fasting or, or holding lots of prayer meetings about it. There's no record of them discussing it, forming committees and, and, and formulating a strategy. They just decide it would be a good thing and they get ready to go. They start moving in a direction. In actual fact, because they, they couldn't agree whether to take John Mark with them, Paul and Barnabas start going in two directions. Barnabas takes John Mark and, and goes to Cyprus and Paul chooses Silas and after being commended by the brothers and sisters in the church they return to the churches planted in Asia Minor with the intention of strengthening them and encouraging these young churches. 
It's while they were moving in that direction that they meet a young man that Paul recognises has great potential for the kingdom. His name is Timothy. And so Paul invites Timothy to join in their missionary party. And Timothy, we'll discover, will become a very effective pastor, like a son to Paul. Now that wasn't part of their plan. They had no idea that they would meet Timothy. But as they were moving, God added to their plan and this addition would have very significant spiritual impact on the church as Timothy becomes a true and loyal co-worker with Paul, a man that Paul would later say of, I have no one like him. And so together they, they visit all the churches and Luke by this time is with them as well. Verse 5 says the, the churches were strengthened in the faith and, and they increased in numbers daily. And then in verse 6 they, they decide to expand their mission and to go to new regions and to plant new churches. Now there's, there's nothing particularly mystical about how they're, they're making these decisions. They're, they're committed to the church and to preaching Christ and they have the, the commendation of the, of the brothers and sisters in their home church and with that in their hearts they feel free enough to move about the country and do whatever seems right. Now the lesson for us I think is that we've got to be moving We've got to be doing something. We've got to be serving somehow. We've got to be going somewhere. Now, some folks might say, ah, but what about the verse in Isaiah that says that we are to wait? We have to wait on the Lord. Well, yes, certainly there are times when we need to wait because direction is needed. But listen to what that verse actually says. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. You see, the primary point of that beautiful verse about waiting isn't to lock us into inactivity. It's grace-filled soaring and running and walking with energy that comes from God. For God can lead us best when we are already moving. And secondly, as we are moving, God will lead us through sometimes saying yes and other times saying no. You see, after visiting the church he's already planted, Paul and Silas decided to expand their mission and to go to new regions and to plant new churches. And this is where it gets really interesting. It's a great plan. They've got great motives. There's just one problem. God keeps stopping them at every turn. They came from the east, so first they try to head further west and the Spirit forbids them from speaking the word. Then they head north and think, they think they'll go into this part of the country called Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them to enter. Now, we're not told how they're stopped. Maybe it was through some prophetic word. Maybe it was through circumstances. We just don't know. But it's clear that they are stopped. They're forbidden to preach. They're forbidden to even enter into the region. And so now they find themselves really, really limited in where they can go. So from this point far north, they, they start heading west and they find themselves in a seaport called Troas. And at this point, they must be wondering, what on earth is God doing? 
The only direction that they have had is negative direction. Where not to go, what not to do, what not to say. And then Paul finally has a vision. A vision which is positive and sets them in a positive direction. He sees a man from Macedonia who's calling for them to come to help. And taking all of the factors into consideration, all of these knows, they agree that this is the Lord's way of leading them to Macedonia. Now, in hindsight, we can see that that was indeed the Lord's way of directing them away from Asia and into Europe. A direction that would have huge implications for their fruitfulness and for the growth of the gospel in all the world. My old pastor John Stott writes about this in his commentary in the book of the book of Acts. He says, with the benefit of hindsight, knowing that Europe became the first Christian continent and was until fairly recently the main base for missionary outreach to the rest of the world, we can see what an epoch-making development this was. It was from Europe that in due course the gospel fanned out to the great continents of Africa, Asia, North America, Latin America and Oceania and so reached to the ends of the earth. Now let me say that God doesn't usually lead his people through visions. Sometimes he does, but not usually. Not even the great apostle Paul was typically led by visions. This is a rare occurrence for him and it will be even rarer for you and for me. But the principle of God leading us in certain directions through saying yes and also through saying no is very, very common. But you know, when God says no, it's a positive answer because it means that he is narrowing our path in a certain way or he is redirecting our path in another direction. And both these things are good because God knows what he's doing. God's no is always merciful, even when it hurts. When God takes something away, he creates space in our lives to fill us with more of him, more of his blessings. And that's surely the greatest gift of all. It may not feel like it in the moments where we're forced to reconcile deep disappointment, but he wants to help us to understand it's true. He wants us to experience for ourselves what the psalmist says, to taste and to see and to know that he is good. And then thirdly, as we're moving, God will often lead us into triumph through a time of trial. The travellers, the, the missionaries, come to Macedonia. They come to the city of Philippi and a wealthy woman named Lydia is saved and a church is started in her home. Lydia is the first European convert that's mentioned anywhere in the Bible. But as Paul is ministering in Philippi, another woman with a demonic spirit begins to harass them and harass them and finally Paul in a fit of peak, casts out the spirit. And that doesn't make the men who owned this slave girl very happy at all. They were profiting off her. 
So they get a mob riled up and Paul and Silas are accused and, and they're arrested and they're beaten violently. They're shackled. They're put in a deep, deep cell in the prison. And at that moment, it would have been very easy, so easy for Silas to begin to wonder, what's going on here? From the beginning, things have been going wrong. Maybe God is angry at Paul for breaking up with Barnabas after all. And the two of them are in pain. They're in prison. They have every reason to despair, but we discover that they're praising instead. They are so grateful for God's deliverance and goodness to them that they lift up their voices in praise to God. They aren't singing about how God is going to set them free from their shackles. They are singing of how through Christ they have already been set free from the only shackles that really bind us, the shackles of sin. You see, no matter how bad things get, Christians have so much to praise God for. We have been saved by the precious blood of Christ. We have been set free from the chains of sin. We have been rescued from the wrath that is to come. And knowing this, we can be assured that God will safely see us through every trial and God will bring triumph out of it. You see, when God leads us into testing, it's in order to bring about a great testimony. In this case, the real miracle wasn't that the prison doors were opened or the shackles came undone. When you look at it, no one escaped anyway. So what was the purpose of these things coming undone? I think it was to frighten and convict that Roman jailer so that he would cry out, what must I do to be saved? And then the shackles of his sin would become undone and he would be set free, he and all his household. What a miracle that was. The jailer is washing the wounds of Paul and Silas and Paul and Silas are washing the jailer of his sins through baptism. What an evidence of God's saving, merciful grace. An evidence that it was God leading them into that dark place to begin with. So when God leads you and me into times of trial, we can praise God with the same confidence. That's not to say that trials don't hurt. They can really hurt. And our hearts can really ache. Praising God in the trial doesn't deny any of that, but it declares a greater reality by faith and helps us keep our eyes on that greater reality. Christ is with you and me in our hardship and in our trial and he will bring you and me to triumph through it. We can praise and trust him. And so fourthly, as we're moving, we see that God will do great things through our small steps. As John Stott wrote, this was indeed an epoch-making event. It would change the history of the world and especially Europe and Christendom. But that monumental event is told through three humble lives changed by the gospel. A wealthy woman, a slave girl and a Roman jailer. The church in this city and in Thessalonica and in Berea 
would all grow strong and have major evangelistic impact on these cities. But God inspired Luke to write of these three humble lives being affected by the gospel. You see, God changes lives one at a time. The Lord doesn't want you discouraged because you may never lead thousands of, of people to faith in Christ. God does great things through small steps. One soul is worth so much to God that he sent his son to die on the cross to save that one soul. And you and I, we may never know this side of heaven, the impact of the little things that we are doing throughout our life that will have impact on one person's life or the eternal consequences. God's will and God's call on our lives as Christians is that we are not just to sit there, but we are to rise up and to serve his purpose, to strengthen his church with the grace that is given to us. That's God's will for each of our lives, and it's a good will. And at the end of our lives on earth, it won't matter to us how much money we have made, or the things that we've accumulated, or the popularity we've achieved. What is important is to do God's will to take these small steps, to trust him that through our actions, through our sharing of Christ, we are making souls pass into heaven. So let's close with Paul's own encouragement to the Colossians, an encouragement that reveals that it's God's will that we bear fruit to his glory. This is what he writes. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. So let's be moving. Let's be moving every day to serve him in some way and to trust God to lead us as we move.
Throughout this coming week, starting on Monday morning, there will be a, a series of daily devotions available to, to, to join in on the Church of Scotland website. That's churchofscotland.org.uk. Go there every morning this coming week, a week of prayer. The moderator has called the church to a week of prayer. There'll be devotions, there'll be prayers in the morning, then in the evening there's an opportunity to join in some, some live stream events to, 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 to join with others in a live way. I, I hope you'll take that opportunity uh, throughout this coming week, starting on Monday. But for now, let us join our hearts in prayer. Let us pray. Faithful God, you have called us to be the people of God. We thank you that your calling remains and abides. Make us faithful to your calling at this present time. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Faithful God, you are the God who makes a covenant with your people. We thank you that you remember us even when we forget you. Remember us today and all who journey in hard places. We think especially of those who were caught up in that real disaster last week. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Faithful God, your gifts to us are many and without number. We thank you for the gift of life and the gift renewed through Jesus Christ. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Faithful God, you are merciful and gracious and you abound in steadfast love. When all around us seems to shift and uncertainty prevails, we search for you and discover again that you are ever-present. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Faithful God, you are the God who breaks down the dividing wall and makes us one in Christ Jesus. On this 75th anniversary of the end of the Second World War, with former enemies as friends and warring nations as trading partners, grant to us the strength to continue to overcome division and to renew our common life. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. This we pray in Jesus' name, who brought us together as a family and taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory for ever. Amen. Well, friends, look forward to 
uh, seeing some of you in the coming days this coming week if you'd like to join us for for coffee on zoom we'll have zoom coffee again this week uh, just after the service and we'll look forward to, to chatting with you then so until we until we meet again until we gather again for worship may you know the blessing of god the ever-present father the ever-living son the ever-active holy spirit and may that blessing descend upon you and remain with you now and always. Amen.